Welcome, everyone, to the CavsCorner.com podcast. CavsCorner.com, your source for Virginia sports. I am Brad Franklin, publisher of CavsCorner.com, coming to you live from the palatial Franklin States in the west end of Richmond, where it is Thursday, February the 4th. The Cavaliers coming off of a um, an interesting victory down in Raleigh last night. was uh, somewhat sad not to be there, though PNC Arena is the one place in the ACC where I have legitimately been concerned for my life. Um, we will talk about that game. I guess we got to talk about the one that Virginia played before that since the podcast. Uh, not exactly a lot of fun um, to, to see that second half. Cavaliers go down in the castle 65-51. Um, no doubt. Um, don't, don't, don't doubt the fact that we waited to record this podcast so we could talk about something else on top of that as opposed to just having uh, just that monstrosity to discuss. Uh, before we get started, let's go around and introduce everybody. First, up in Loudoun. Uh, Justin Ferber's back on the show. How's it going, my friend? Can't complain. Um, don't like the 9 p.m. starts, but what I do like is that uh, the basketball commit that UVA got on Saturday, Isaac McNeely, he's from Poco, West Virginia, and their team, high school team mascot, is the Dots. So he plays for the Poco Dots, which is the best high school mascot combo I've ever heard. So that was definitely the best thing I've seen all week. Still at Justin underscore Ferber on Twitter, though. The fact that, that p- the polka dots don't have, like, a raging, uh, like, gear business, like, you can't go and buy yeah. as much, like, stuff is is beyond me. Like, people of polka, get that get that hooked up. There might be well, some Well, when people- I saw it, it was, like, the dot culture or whatever. I was like, <laughs> what is this? And I had to, like, look, and then I was like, oh, I get it. I see what's going on here. <laughs> um, and also joining the program um, from just outside the city limits of Charlottesville, the one, the only, Damon Dillman is is on the program and uh, having joined the website to to cover baseball. Damon, what, what's up, man? Long time in OC. What's, what's the latest? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I don't think the people understand that you're that you're doing a bit there. You have to sort of explain it at least once. Oh, um, that's my tribute to the recently retired Doug Dowdy. The recently retired. Um uh, my Damon, mentor, <laughs> Damon. Uh, Damon is, uh, like I said uh, on Twitter the other day, one of legitimately the best dudes uh, that I've legitimately ever met. And I said legitimately twice, so you know I really mean it. Um, and so I'm really glad that he's he's joined up and he's going to cover baseball and he's already written some stuff and um, enjoyed the 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 fun that is trying to track down. Um, I guess they're not teenagers anymore; um, they're like professionals and whatnot. Um, but Glad to have you, Damon. What you do now is you give the people your Twitter handle, and then I give them my Twitter handle. See, this is the way this thing works. At Damon Dillman, no underscore. Yeah, one word. See, you you you're not one of the cool underscore kids. Uh, Cavs Corner also. Yeah, somebody's squatting on Justin Ferber. I can't use it. <laughs> and Cavs Corner. Cavs Corner also on Twitter. Cavs underscore Corner, the verified one, not the other one. Who apparently you have to earn that underscore, and I'm just not there yet. <laughs> I'm just a correspondent. <laughs> there you go. Um, all right, so let's start. Let's start with Damon um, before we get to basketball. And I do actually want to ca- talk about uh, the commitment they got um, as well later. Um, so Damon's going to come on and cover baseball at a at I think a perfect time because the, one, the baseball team is going to be pretty good. But then two, um, short of um, I don't know, employing Oak himself, um, I'm not really sure how else one could find someone better suited to cover the team. Damon, when you were on there on the calls the other day and, and talking to the, to the players and, and talking Oak and stuff. What's your general feel um, now that you're kind of back in the saddle and, and on this thing? Um, 
coming off of last year and the way that all went for them and now knowing that there's finally going to be a season and everything, um, who's more excited, the the team to play or for you to cover the team that when they play? Uh, I'm probably going to go with the players just because – the and the, and the head coach and the coaching – the rest of the coaching staff, I'm sure. But you have to understand where, where that program was last March when it all came to that screeching halt because the two years prior – the both seasons, the two previous seasons had ended in such disappointment, not getting into the NCAA tournament, either of those two years. And then last year they go out, they get off to that 14 and four start capped by taking two out of three from NC state. NC state was a top five team in the country when they came into Charlottesville and UVA was still kind of this question mark. This like they had played well, but a lot of the teams they had beaten weren't exactly ACC caliber programs. So it was kind of this question mark. And then this top five team comes to town. UVA takes two out of three from them pitches really well in that series. And that was the the biggest question mark because that had been the issue. The two previous seasons was the pitching staff. And yeah, they look really good in that weekend against NC state. And then boom, they play a couple of midweek games, win both of those and the season's over They're on, They were halfway to pit. They were somewhere in Maryland when they got a call to turn the bus around and come home and their season was over. So there was a lot of excitement about around that team and the way they were playing early on because it looked like and it felt like UVA baseball teams that we were accustomed to and it felt like it was going to be an exciting spring and it just came to that abrupt halt and those guys were really disappointed. So yeah, I, don't get me wrong. I'm excited to be working with the UVA baseball team again and the opportunity, but I pro- my excitement probably pales in comparison to what those guys were feeling last fall when they got back onto the field. And now as they count down these last couple of weeks until opening day uh, in a couple of weeks on the 19th. Yeah. I would think that, um, you know, there were a lot of teams, right. That were, that had the, the rug pulled out from under them. I, you know, the baseball, the basketball team obviously was, you know, down in, um, in Greensboro, you know, waiting for, um, you know, for the night to come, but I mean, they weren't on a bus on the way to an actual, you know, to an actual game. Um, there's a whole lot from the, um, you know, from the pandemic that I think lingers and certainly that sense of uncertainty. I, I mean, I, you know, football season and, you know, throughout basketball season, even, um, you're not really sure the whole thing is going to happen until it actually happens. And yeah. I would imagine that there are going to be a lot of guys who are going to deal with that this year, right? Like the, you know, you're 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 waiting on protocols. You you want to make sure everybody you know clears, and no, you got no positives. You got no contract tracing to worry about. Hopefully, by the you know by the better part of the baseball season, a lot of this will be maybe not necessarily gone because I don't think that's realistic, but maybe not as big of a thing if that makes any sense. Um, did when you were talking to him the other day, was there anything any focus on the COVID side of things, or were they really kind of strictly focused on the the baseball aspects? No, Brian. Okay. Connor was asked about that and he obviously the message to the team is number one be smart about this pay attention to the protocols do the right thing don't be don't step outside of the line so to speak but number two it's they, they still have a job to do they still they need to handle themselves protocol wise but they still they need to focus on the season because it is coming fast and if you focus on the protocols and worry about covid too much you're taking your attention away from the season at hand and and like i said opening day is february 19th and that's less than three weeks away now and 
Yeah, I think I think the message is be smart, do the right thing. You know what it's going to take. You've seen what has happened in other sports, professionally and at the college level, when when people aren't taking it taking it seriously enough. So I think they understand that. And I also think having that experience from last year of having it kind of swept out from underneath them and and disappearing literally on a bus ride, I think that experience has taught these guys and probably athletes student athletes throughout the country not just in college baseball but in all kinds of sports that yeah you have to take this seriously or something like that could happen again and they experienced it once and they don't want to experience it again well hopefully there will be um you know a good bit of um you know a good bit of um the normalcy that comes with competition right so i think that now to a certain extent i mean you saw it in football where eventually like okay this is the sort of the 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 way of the world and, and we just got to figure it out like that at mid-season on among the players like that kind of seemed to be um the gist I, basketball seems to be like they're much more focused like obviously on the court stuff um with basketball because of the the sort of different dynamics and you know contract tracing and everything it does seem like you know that sport has been significantly impacted in a way that football wasn't um but even so the, the players are still very focused on like you know what's going on between um, you know, between the lines. And I would imagine that at some point the baseball side will get there too. The question I have on that front is more about sort of, um, you know, culturally, I think it's fair to say that like baseball players, lacrosse players are a little bit of a different breed maybe than, you know, basketball players, football players, um, you know, that there's a, there's a certain, um, maybe there's a certain kind of uh, camaraderie that happens in those sports those guys feel much more um, kind of insulated, right, from other things than the others do. Maybe it's the revenue side. I'm not real sure. I've always just thought that they they, they seemed a little bit um, – their programs kind of churned on their own. You know what I mean? Like there's less – you know, there's less noise around them, that kind of thing. They're more, Like I said, they're more insulated. I'm curious, Damon, last thing before we move to hoops, how do you feel like that changes sort of – because, I mean, you know – plenty of coaches have talked about it right like the idea that you can't you're not you know buddy buddy right you're not like hanging out um you know in in your know, dorm or apartment or whatever like guys are kind of on their own little islands in some ways um how do you feel like that stuff off the field impacts the baseball program specifically how do you feel like um is that going to be something that is difficult I mean, for them yeah to i'm of- sure it's going to be a challenge because we hear stories about how challenging it is for all these student athletes in every sport and, and baseball is such a marathon baseball. They're, they're starting in mid February. The ACC tournament isn't until Memorial day weekend. And then if you knock on wood, if you make a run to Omaha, that's another month of the season. That's, that's a marathon of a season. And, and it's also four games a week. That's the plan right now is they're going to be playing four games a week. So that's, there are a lot of challenges there. And I feel like, there's there's it's just it'll be difficult because it's a marathon in a lot of ways so that makes it a marathon and draining mentally as well and then when you add in the potential complications at least early on of yeah you can't be gathering in large groups you have to be smart about this you have to sort of like you said you're not hanging out in your dorm rooms you're not hanging out uh, at the batting cage or anything like that not it's it's going to be tough on these guys. It's going to be a marathon, and it's going to test them not just physically, but absolutely mentally as well. Absolutely. Um, all right, let's let's segue over to, to hoops, and obviously a, a tough go of it for the Cavaliers um, 
you know, last weekend. Um, I, I want to preface the, the incoming conversation to say that Damon is, uh, is admittedly not as plugged in, hasn't been paying as much attention to, to the hoops program. Um, as you know, he may have been in past seasons. Uh, so we're going to give him a pass at least for now. Um, I've got some questions, but, but he's got, yeah, he's got some things. <laughs> um, first off, Ferber, let me start here. How surprised were you to see UVA go and not just not the game because they were fine until like the 15 whatever mark, right? But then they just laid an absolute egg the rest of the way. Did that surprise you at all? Because it surprised the crap out of me. Yeah, I mean, I'm not surprised that – I mean, I didn't pick them to lose the game, but I'm not blown away that they lost the game. I think Tech's a pretty good team. You know, it's a road game even without fans. It's a different environment that you have to get used to playing in. And I even talked last week on the podcast. I think that the the Tyrese Radford loss, and I think they'll probably get him back at some point, it sounds like. I, I think it's a, it's a significant loss for them, but they ha- they're a guard-heavy team. Like, they have a lot of guys that could come in and replace his minutes that have played a lot. So – um, not as big of a loss as maybe other, you know, injuries or whatever could have been. But yeah, I mean, it, it was a game that UVA was in control of and tech would keep it close and then UVA would push it back out and tech would keep it close. And we've seen a lot of games like that. And, and honestly, people are, are very quick to be like, you know, they didn't quite bury the game and that's how I felt too. But UVA usually, you know, coasts to the finish a lot in those sorts of games. And I was very surprised that, not how they, not that they lost, but how, you know, like it just kind of unraveled for them. And, and I, I said something about it on Twitter last night after they beat NC state, but I think you saw the difference in what can happen to you um, when you have a have drought, like they did in both games, you know, versus a good team, a competent team like tech, and then versus a team like NC state, that's not as good um, against NC state. You can get away with it because NC state just didn't score points during that stretch that UVA couldn't score. Right. So like, you know, the game, UVA, there were points where UVA was leading by one where I was like, how are they still winning this game, right? And, and Virginia Tech just kind of put the pedal down and, and you know, made a bunch of shots. Uh, they were good shots. And they sort of just got in a rhythm and, and started knocking stuff down, and UVA just couldn't answer. Um, you know, if UVA finds a way, even even though Tech went on a run, you know, they took a lead at one point. If UVA had struck back and, and gone on a quick little, you know, 5-0 run of their own, maybe they would have held them off and, and been able to win the game, but they just never got off the mat. Um, you know, even like layups weren't going in. And that's when you knew that something was wrong. And, you know, the nature of what happened to them, it makes you hope at least that it's just an aberration, right? And and sort of like an outlier performance because they have droughts, but th- that was bizarre. I mean, like they were missing shots that they don't miss and, you know, like bad turnovers and bad defensive rotations and things. And, it just sort of all unraveled at the wrong time against a, a tech team that I don't think that loss is going to look bad. Right. I mean, tech's like four and zero against ranked teams. Um, so I don't think it's the end of the world, but obviously like, you know, something that you wish they could have avoided or it's it, it just, you know, it really put a sour taste in your mouth after that long winning streak that they had. Yeah. Cause I mean, I guess you, you sort of have to feel like eventually they were going to come back down to earth a little bit. Right. And yeah, and it, and, it, and it certainly felt like you know when you know it's fifteen twenty seven. Huff makes a jumper, and it's thirty nine twenty nine, and you think, oh, are, they're going to be okay. Like they're going to figure this out. And then over the next couple minutes, I mean, Huff picked up a couple fouls. Uh, Kafaro came in. He picked up a couple fouls. Hauser hits a three at um, at like the thirteen eighteen mark, which makes him puts him up eight. Um, and I mean, from that point on, under twelve. 
the rest of the way. They had three field goals. Um, they were three. One of, was like at the end in yeah, garbage time. Yeah, one was a McCoy jumper with one or yeah, a, a shot with one ten left. Um, the the fact that they had that kind of experience in Blacksburg, and then to be in Raleigh and all, and all, they didn't have the same situation, right? But there they were in the second half. Um, you know, they're up a little bit at the break. Uh, they're at four. You know, they 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 have a nice little little spurt. They're up thirty six twenty seven. And then they don't. They have one field goal over like the next three and a half, four minutes. You know, NC State goes a little bit of run. NC State ends up taking the lead after the under eight, and it felt in you know some ways. If you think about a Huff scores thirteen fifty two to go, forty one thirty three, right? So there's a similar situation, right? A Huff Huff bucket. He picks up a foul. He picks him another foul. Clark makes two free throws, but they don't have any field goals between the thirteen fifty two. And when Hauser hits that three pointer with five thirty seven, but what I thought was really interesting, you mentioned you said off the mat, like they really did get up off the mat because then they just put a run together. And your point about NC State, like most teams in that situation that Virginia's going to play, are going to probably give them a little bit more heartburn than than what NC State gave them. Like Virginia can't be in these long lulls offensively, and yet if you look at the at the final score. You know, it doesn't feel like it was that close, right? It doesn't feel like, you know, seven points is, you know, hey, they covered. Um, but at the same token, like this thing was still nip and tuck until Virginia decided to sort of wake up. So my question is, do we think that they that they really did wake up? Or was this just a, fa- a function of the other team's just not that good and didn't have, you know, its best player? Um, because that's not, you know, that's not necessarily – it's not a bad thing to to go on the road when you when you have a target on your back and figure out a way to win. Well, when you look at the other side and you think about the totality of circumstances, it's hard to like get the super warm fuzzies. And yet, you look around the league and there's really no other good teams. Like nobody in the league is scaring you right now. Even Florida State, like they're very talented, but they they're scuffling. Not to mention that now they have a, a, a COVID pause. Their three games are are postponed, and they're you know Virginia's going to get them um, shortly after they come back. My thought process on this is that, like, this is one of those seasons, like, you just want to survive. Like, you just want to keep trying to figure out ways to win, and it's almost like football season where we talked a lot about, like, it doesn't matter how it looks. It doesn't matter if it makes sense. It doesn't even matter if it's consistent. Just find a way to win, right? And because, like, realistically, this year, is anybody going to beat Baylor or, or Gonzaga if you're not Baylor or Gonzaga? I don't know. But in terms of the ACC, just keep winning, and that's, you know, that's kind of what Virginia basketball does. They just find ways to keep winning. Um, Damon, you said you had questions. I'm curious what those questions are. Yeah, I mean, just like I said, or like I, like I was talking about before we started rolling on this, I, I've watched some games, I've read some stuff, but I obviously haven't been watching with – it's more of an untrained eye, I guess, as you would put it, more not necessarily dissecting everything. Um. I guess that would be my first question is just where, where do you see this team? What's the weak spot on this team? Because when you look at stats and things like that, they're shooting well, they're still like at least scoring defense playing really well. What's, what's the weak spot on this team that could possibly be its Achilles heel in the postseason? For where you want to go first. Yeah. I think that it's probably an over-reliance on jump shots. Um, and, and they're not a bad shooting team. So, I mean, most times you're going to come out on top in those situations. But I think that, uh, you know, and it was talked about a lot last night. So credit to, I think it was Mike Cousins who was doing the play-by-play. He yeah. mentioned that UVA, like, very rarely gets to the line. 
Um, and it's true. And, and a lot of that, you know, it's not necessarily, it's not because like they, they don't call fouls against UVA or something like that. It's, it's really just a byproduct of how their offense works. Right. I mean, like they're trying to find room and rhythm shots, a lot of threes. They're not a guy, a lot of guys just like taking the ball and drive into the basket, trying to get contact like a lot of other teams and they don't play in transition as much, which you get a lot of fouls in transition. So you know, like that, but that is sort of, it highlights an issue, which is kind of like, you know, it leads to these droughts that they have. Right. So like if the shots aren't falling or like you're having trouble getting the shots, how else are you going to score points? You have to be able, we talk, how many times have we talked about it on the show that sometimes you just need a guy to go get you a bucket, you know? And I think they have a lot of guys that are talented offensive players and, you know, like Huff and Hauser and Murphy are all capable of, of having big games at any time. And then Kihei obviously is capable of, of doing a lot and not just scoring, but other things that he can bring. And, and Beekman has been solid, but you know, who's going to go out and stop a, a stop the bleeding, so to speak, if it's not going to be an open three. And you saw that against Virginia tech. I mean, they certainly missed some shots that they could have made, but they just didn't have another way to score. And then once tech, you know, wasn't, you know, letting them get open looks and we're knocking theirs down, it was kind of over. And I think that that is sort of, it's not an issue that they can't correct. It's just, you know, they need to, I don't, I don't even want It's not like they're taking bad threes. It's just, they're sort of like super heavy on open rhythm jump shots. And sometimes yeah. those shots just aren't going to be there. Yeah. But I they're, would, go ahead, Brad. I no, didn't mean to cut you off. No, you're good. I was going to say, I was going to, I was going to pick the flip side, which is that like, it's a matchup situation, right? Like one of the reasons tech, was able to take him to the woodshed is because Virginia simply did yeah. not have an answer for Kave Aluma in space. And that kind of got him a little bit last night too, which is like, it's one thing if you come up against a team where Huff is able to kind of stay in the lane, I think the book is really out on him now, right? Okay. You gotta, you gotta get him away from the basket. And right now with Caden Shedrick, um, you know, he, he actually, he did more last night in warmups and in, and such than he has in the past. So I'm not sure if he plays this weekend, but it does seem like maybe he's getting close. But you can't expect that he's just going to, you know, pop back in and be like, you know, Darion Atkins or whatever. But he is, you know, he's the kind of player historically Virginia has in the post. They might not be as adept at scoring in the post, but it, that in the past they've had several different options that they could sort of figure out, okay, we're, we're you're playing in North Carolina. You probably want to play two more traditional sort of a true four and a true five. Okay, cool. Oh, you're you're, you're going to play a smaller team. Okay, you probably can move your four man, and they play small ball, but he can work as your five. Huff's problem is is that he's so he's so good at blocking shots that when he's not blocking shots, your defense suffers. And two, when you put him in space, he is a foul machine. And when on nights when he's not just absolutely killing it, right, offensively, where he's not stretching things out. Um, to Ferber's point, like you can't just be a jump shooting team. And so it kind of puts him in a little bit of a quandary when you don't have any depth. And, you you know, you think about uh, Francisco Cafaro, you don't really have – because neither Sam Hauser nor Trey Murphy can really play big, right? At least for, for Murphy right now, in, you know, given his size. Maybe after, you know, he, he hangs out with Mike Curtis for an offseason, you know, he'll be in a little bit different spot. But realistically, like, Virginia can't match up um, with some teams as easily. Um, and so they kind of have to just sort of make do. And – You've seen these last two games, I think, um, the Achilles heel on the defensive side, which is they just don't have a lot of depth in the post. And when you don't have that, especially in today's game, you're really going to pay for it. Like you're going to have nights where teams are going to stretch you out. 
They're going to pull your big man away from the rim, and then they're going to dare you to stop them. And one of the things with the pack line is that, like, if you get dribble penetration, it's it's over. Like, that is – the whole entire defense is set up to not let you get dribble penetration. And when you pull Huff away from the basket, that, that obviously invites that a little bit more. Um, what were you going to say, Damon? I was going to add- – uh, I don't remember what I was going to ask, but I do have another question. I wanted to ask about Huff because, again, n- not watching every minute of every game, but you look at some of the numbers and you read some of the things, it looks like he made the decision to come back to school. It looks like he has taken some of the next steps in his development that he was, I'm sure, hoping to take by coming back to school. Is that a fair assessment? I think so. I mean, I, I mean, I don't know how realistic it was for him to think about leaving last year because yeah. I don't know where he would have been in the pecking order. I think this year he's definitely been more assertive offensively. He's been more apt. To, he's a little bit more consistent offensively and defensively. He has when he's around the basket, he has been a menace. I mean, you know, he's averaging like two two point three ish blocks a game or something like that. Um, you know, I think up until maybe the last couple games, I probably had him for you know. Not if not the front runner for defensive player of the year in the league, one of the you know top two. Um, the Bates kid, I thought from um, NC State, did a nice job last night of really kind of taking it right to his chest, and that that seemed to nullify his length a little bit. But you're right; I think he definitely has done enough to put himself in a position where he gets that you know that not not. And I don't mean to knock. We've talked a lot about fans who were super on this whole you know Jay Huff's going to go pro thing. Um, but I think now he's a legitimate bona fide pro prospect in a way that before he was just sort of like, maybe he had that potential. I think now you can look at him and say, okay, you can see a little bit of his game. He needs, he needs some work in a variety of different ways. I think if you think about the way it translates to the next level, you know, he could really use a little bit more, um, obviously strength. Um, you know, he could use a little bit more, you know, he's got pretty good ball skills in terms of passing, but you probably could use a little bit better, um, you know, being able to, to put to put the, the, the dribble with the, with the really good footwork. I mean, the dude has really good feet. Um, he's very crafty. Um, I'm not sure how, how that part of things fits at the, at the next level, but there certainly are, you know, bigs who, you know, in that level, if you can shoot, you, you know, that, that helps out a lot. So I think plenty of NBA teams will be very curious to, to work him out and see where, um, see if he can fit for them. What do you think Ferber? Yeah. I mean, I think he's definitely a better player than he was, um, certainly two years ago, and I think he's better than he was last year. And part of that, I think, too, is that he's just a better fit with this group of players around him. Like, I think that last year's team, you know, we saw how much they struggled to shoot the ball and score, and they really needed him, you know, in the post. And and obviously, he still stepped out and hit threes. But with this team, you know, they can play more five out because you got Murphy and Hauser there to to carry the load on the wings. And, and I think it's just a better fit for his skill set. And and, you know, you mentioned his passing. I thought he did a really nice job at the end of the game last night um, with some of those backdoor sort of passes to Murphy that, you know, were set up by bringing him out and, and bringing, you know, I think that they realized that, you know, if you bring, I guess it wasn't Funderburg, whoever was on him at the end of the game, Bates, um, you know, you bring that guy away from the basket, you're better off just like vacating. You're better off having the defense vacate that area around the rim and, and then if they don't want to respect Jay Huff's shooting, then he's just going to have an open three. So I think that, you know, what how they've used him this year is a better fit for his skill set. And, you know, he's really impressed me uh, this year so far. And I think, um, you know, just the fact that you mentioned him as a possible defensive player of the year in the ACC is pretty shocking considering, like, where he was. Oh, if someone had said that a few years ago. ago. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, but wait, yeah. before we move on, Ferber, do you think that that's legitimate or am I, or am I out to lunch on that? 
Um, I'd have to take a look at the rest of the league. Um, you know, it, it's tough to say no because I don't really have a guy that's coming to mind that's, you know, better. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think that he certainly has come a long way in, in his defense, um, particularly around he, – he's always had a knack for blocking shots, I feel like. You know, he has a good timing. Um, but just his – you know, he was just lost a lot earlier in his career. Like, he would he would just get beat off the dribble. or And you even saw some of it last night where, you know, I think Funderburg really took advantage of him a couple times. Um, and obviously there was that one bad foul call, but I thought that he made a really a couple really nice quick post moves on Jay that kind of had him a step slow. But for the most part, his defense has been great. So, yeah. no complaints there. For the record, Jay Huff is currently second in the league in blocks. He's averaging 2.3. Hi, I got that right. Per game, he's got 34. Bates is in first at 3.2 with 41. Um, yeah, and, and also the pace, obviously. So that's 2.3 per game on fewer possessions. Right, exactly. Too. And then uh, Alvarado currently is leading the league in steals. He's averaging 2.9 steals per game. Um, yeah, I feel like whoever leads the league in steals gets the player of the yeah. year, defensive player of the year, or it's like a, a random UVA player. Yeah. I um, will say this, though. Moses Wright currently fifth in the league in block shots at 1.9 per game. Um, he's got 26 on the year through 14 games. Uh, Moses Wright also fourth in the league in steals at 1.9 per game. He's got 26 of those in 14 games. So, I mean, I don't know if I've ever seen a dude who had as many blocks as he had steals and he was like top five in the league. Do you know what I mean? Like, okay, yeah, you had two. You know what I'm saying? Like, okay, fine. But like to average nearly two blocks and two steals a game, that's, you know. I think suddenly I, I'm, I'm changing my tune. Like maybe Moses Wright's the defensive player of the year because that's that's a that's a um, that's a synergy between those two categories. I don't think I've seen in a long time. I, keep your email. You don't need to email me. It's fine. Um, but <laughs> anyway, what other what other questions you got, Dame? Uh, another. I mean, I asked you about Huff. The other guy is Hauser because I remember like all of last season. Everybody. I even go back to when Hauser played in that that blue orange blue white scrimmage. I didn't say orange. Sorry about that. Yeah. Uh, that blue white, that blue white <laughs> scrimmage when he was red shirting after transferring, and I, I thought he was the best player on the floor that day. And kind of the hype surrounding him just kept building and building and building. And has I'm, I know there was talk of preseason All American, preseason ACC Player of the Year contender, a lot of that kind of stuff. Has he lived up? How has he performed? through the spectrum of the level of expectations, because the level of expectations were pretty high for that guy. Yeah. Ferber, you want to take that one first? Yeah. I mean, I think the, uh, the expectations were astronomical. I mean, considering, you know, UVA players don't really get preseason player of the year. Like, I mean, I think maybe Malcolm Brogdon did like, I, I think he's the only one I could think of um, who may have gotten it. Like, I think that, maybe the expectations were a little unfair to be honest. I mean, he's a player who was good at Marquette, but he was the second leading scorer on that team when they had a, a really, really dynamic point guard in Marcus Howard. And then obviously his brother was there as well. So, I mean, they had a lot of options and this year he was asked to come in and be the guy. And it was probably the first time in his career that he had to be the guy. Um, and I think that while earlier in the season, I think we were really hard on him fairly um, I think that it just wasn't – it didn't look like what we were told we were getting in terms of what we could expect from him. Um, but I think that through the season you've seen a maturity and like a comfortability set in for him where he really has sort of taken on, you know, what we sort of expected from a score – you know, 
scoring output wise and his defense has improved quite a bit. I didn't expect him to come in and be like an excellent defensive player. Um, I thought he would be good enough to play and, and he, he got exposed a little bit here and there at the beginning of the season, but as he's played more, I think he's gotten better on that end. And then his scoring has gone up. I don't have his game by game stuff in front of me, but he seems to have become a much more reliable three point shooter. And I don't want to say it's as simple as they go as he goes because, you know, I think they have a lot of other guys that can sort of step in and, and get hot um, and get them over the top if he's not blowing up. But I think in the games where you've seen him really take off, that's when their offense has taken off. I mean, you think about that Syracuse game, he was getting a lot of open threes and he was making them and they never looked back. I mean, the game wasn't even close. Um, when and, and some of it's out of his control. Sometimes he doesn't get going because he doesn't get the shots. Um, last night it just felt like he – got off to a good start, and then it was like they just didn't get him the ball a whole lot after yeah. he went out with that. I think Dave, I want to shout out to Dave, who hopefully will listen to this. Um, he mentioned last night in our text thread, he was like, once he got that foul and came out, he didn't really look as dominant. And I think that you know he goes through runs like everybody else on this team of hot and cold, but I think he's starting to round into form. And, I mean, honestly, I get, we can have this discussion now, but I think he's probably going to end up being an all-ACC player of some you know, at some level, whether it's first team, second team or something. Yeah. So I would say that to me, I expected a lot out of him in part because of just a level of experience he had. Right. And, um, I think the thing that I, the, the mistake that I made in setting those expectations w- wasn't just looking at, okay, what's his experience level and how does that extrapolate out? It was, paying too much attention to the sort of noise, which was last year he was their best player and that, you know, they were really confident that he was going to, and that he was going to essentially come in this year and be basically exactly what they need, you know, just add water. And he kind of is now, but I think the thing that, that a lot of people, myself included here, lost sight of is just like how hard it is to go from like not playing at all to all of a sudden playing again. And then also to do it in the, in the midst of a pandemic, like he didn't, he didn't just take a year off. He took a year off in terms of competition. And then not only was he, you know, adjusting to a new system with, you know, obviously a different, um, you know, a different culture and everything, but he also had to have a bunch of dudes around him. He'd never really played with. You think about the pieces of this thing as it got started. So I think, yeah, my expectations were definitely, you know, really heightened because of, and in large part because of, um, you know, what, what we, what we all heard last year about, you know, his, his, his exploits and practice and stuff against a team that we all know was really good defensively. Um, it took him a little while to get starts going this year. And certainly to Ferber's point about comfortability, you can see it. He's a very different player now than he was earlier in the year. Um, right now he's third in the ACC in three point field goals per game. Um, he's top 10 in the ACC in terms of field goal percentage. How about Jay Huff is shooting 61.8% from the floor. That's nuts. Um, he's actually, he, he and, uh, Nate Leshefsky are, are right there together, except Leshefsky has attempted one, uh, fewer, uh, attempts and they both have 81 field goals anyway. Um, but no, I think Hauser has, he has now become a, a you know, to Ferber's point about, you know, all ACC Hauser has now become a, a player that you sort of feel like, you know, what you're going to get consistently from, and he's much better, uh, in tandem, I think with, other shooters right so there's definitely like a um you know kind of a sonic the hedgehog effect where everybody's bouncing off of each other right it certainly helps in terms of spacing certainly helps you know virginia as a whole 
my issue with with sort of what I've seen from Hauser this year is defensively, I don't know. I, I I'm I'm not used to seeing Virginia have a guy like him who can't defend multiple positions. Um, he's a very good rebounder, and that's a thing that we don't talk enough about is how well he rebounds. Um, you know, he where in all the ways that you might have some some issues with his defense, you might be concerned about. He he helps that dramatically in his ability to rebound, and I think that's something too that for this team is especially important because this team was not going to be other teams, right? He's averaging seven boards a game. I did not expect that to be a thing. Um, now maybe that's not you know top five, ten, whatever in the league, um, but top fifteen for him is probably not bad. Um, so I think as they go forward, he's got to he's got to continue to shoot the ball. He's got to continue to to take the shots. I think that's one thing that's been clear um, of late is that he has the green light and he's and he's comfortable taking it. Um, but defensively, I think that's that's still a work in progress and that's got to continue to be you know as, t- as Tony likes to say, you got to keep tightening it up, right? You keep tightening it up. That's that's something that I think Hauser has to keep doing. So to summarize, my takeaways are Jay Huff's the Defensive Player of the Year. Hauser is all ACC first team, and UVA's getting back to the Elite Eight at the very least. That's what you guys are telling me. <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa! <laughs> is that not what you, that that that's what I took away from this conversation? Well, it's good. To I know mean, the big 16. thing for me, I I think my thing with them as far as March goes, and obviously it just really depends on who you play and how they're playing. But I think they're certainly capable of making a deep run in the tournament. I mean, like Brad, you said it, like you look around the ACC, you see anybody that is dominant. I mean, UVA lost that game to Tech, and I think they gained ground in the ACC over the week despite yeah. losing because everyone That always happens lost. when they lose to Tech. Yeah. Yeah. It just, That's a good point. It just, seem, it just seems like everybody else is just like sort of – it's like golf, and, you know, UVA just keeps parring. You know, they just – that's what they're doing right now. And that might be good enough to make a deep run in March. The problem is you can lose to anybody if you don't score for six minutes, you know, like that, that sort of thing is going to come back to haunt you at some point. If you're not able to tighten that up a little bit, especially if you don't have a defense like you had last year, right? Yeah. You you better have one of those. You're not going to give up any points either. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Like you better have, if you're not going to score for eight minutes or whatever, you better have, you know, Isaiah Wilkins better walk through that door. You know what I mean? Like you better be ready. And that's what's funny too, is that they did go through those droughts with those. They did. Yeah. That's what's funny. Even like the championship team, you would have these weird moments where it'd be five minutes without a a field goal. And you'd be like, what is going on? Um, But they were fewer and further between. Yeah. And, and a lot of times they were able to get enough stops in that stretch to where it didn't matter. Or, you know, that five-minute stretch of no field goals came with them up 15. Right. So it didn't yeah. matter. Or they go, so, through, they go through these spells where they didn't score for six minutes, but the other team scored three points. You know what I'm saying? Because, like, the defense was still – that's the thing about that championship team that we, we all sort of – I don't want to say f- fail to remember – but it's just like we don't necessarily appreciate it as much. We think of the offensive firepower. That group was damn good defensively. Um, now, granted, not always perfect, but you know they could really put the screws to you um, if they wanted to. Uh, what were we saying, Damon? Yeah, I mean, I was just listening to you guys. It got me wondering: is there is there a previous Tony team that this sort of resembles that it reminds you of that that it's like maybe I don't know. The one that came to mind a little bit for me was Malcolm senior year. Yeah, that's exactly what I would say. Yeah, I I was going to say, like, that's probably the one for me that's the closest. But, man, this group is very different. You know, like, um, 
it's very odd to think of like they have a six foot eight and a half, six foot nine kid who I'm not really sure who he plays defensively, right? And the fact that that you know Murphy is extremely athletic, he's just not in a place yet where he can be dominant defensively. Um, if if he if they could get a little bit more Dre Hunter out of him, you know, get as Tony likes to say, get him to get in front of somebody and get in a stance, right? Get the roadblock going. Um, I probably would feel a little bit differently. That's that's the thing for me is that this team is just they're just a tick different, right? Especially because their their five man is such a threat from deep, and instead of them, yeah, that's unique. You know, not running a lot of like I don't. I mean, personally, I know they've had some success running sides and 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 some success running block move or whatever. But like for me, like they don't always look comfortable offensively, and I wonder sometimes if they if that's because they are throwing so many different sets out there. Like, and I mean, credit to them because I'm sure that they are a bear to prepare for, right? You you don't know those calls if you're, you know, the assistant coach from the other team as well as, you know, you know, Soderberg, whoever might know uh, Virginia's opponent. But man, like, they, it just does seem like that offense is, is still trying to figure it out. And which is weird for me to say on February the 4th, you know what I mean? Like that, that has not been a thing. So I, I think that team is definitely the one that's probably the closest, but I still have some. Yeah. Some 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 issues that kind of knock the frame off a little bit, so it's not quite straight. Yeah, I think the difference is so like I think that it is the closest to that 2016 team just because of the profile. So like that 2016 team was a good like uh I don't want to say they were more offensive focused, but because defense is always such a big focus for UVA, but you know like that team could go out and outscore teams just like this team could. Um, but the difference is that team was like year three with the same guys playing together. So like it was the culmination of a lot of guys, like the cohesion was there in a way that it isn't really with this team. I don't think like you had London on his third year as a starter, Malcolm in his third year as a starter, Anthony Gill in his third year as a starter, Toby had been around like this team is sort of like Kihei is like the, the linchpin Huff has been around. And then the rest of the guys, you know, I think every single other player pretty much was not on the title team. So, I mean, you have a lot of guys that are just sort of still, you know, early in the early stages of their career. And we might look at the team, you know, a year from now, two years from now is very similar to that 2016 team once these guys play more together. But, um, yeah, I think that they still have a way to get ways to go, obviously, to get to that level. But, um, yeah, I think that they're a team that unlike other teams like 2015 and last year, I think this team can get out like in a pinch. They can outscore a team if they need to. Yeah, that's a that's a really good point too. Is that even if this team like that's the thing that has that really you sh- like kind of showed through that seven game winning streak is like all of a sudden they're like oh maybe we we're not terrible at defense maybe we can actually play some good defense and they had definitely had moments where you're like wow they were like playing really good defense and not by like just like random team standards by actual Virginia standards right this team though has been good enough offensively where that part didn't matter we're starting to see those those lulls but i think those have a lot more to do with teams sort of figuring out how best to attack their personnel which if we think about the schedule and i've i've made this comment several times in various places so i'll 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 try to reframe it here there is something to be said for you know those early season games you know whether it's the scrimmages before they actually tip things off or just the early season games just sort of figuring things out so the clock has been off, right? We're just now getting to a place where I feel like you're starting to see teams and sort of understand who they are and, and what they what they can be and that kind of thing. But the difference is, is that the benefit that you, a lot of these teams have is that, like, teams have not had a good kind of feel for who they are either, right? 
So in terms of slowing you down, now is a time when typically, typically now you have countered the thing that you've you've essentially seen from other teams. Okay, this is who we are. This is what they're going to do to try to stop us. Now, what's our counter? Now teams are see, finally seeing that. They're just seeing it later. And so you probably made it through a little while longer, right, before other teams really got a good feel for, for who you are and how to slow you down. Um, it's a shame that so much of that time for a lot of teams was lost because, you know, you're on COVID pauses and stuff. But realistically, like now is that time that typically you would kind of be, you know, figuring it out again, so to speak, right? And now you can see Virginia struggling offensively, I think, in part because teams have figured it out. Oh, okay, this is what we got to do. So now it's up to Virginia to sort of figure out that counterpunch. And I think that's going to be really critical for them Saturday against Pittsburgh uh, in a game that we didn't even know was going to be a thing until Ferber tweeted out yesterday, um, which props to him for um, – you know, coming up with the idea that ultimately well, that was the equivalent of two plus two equals. Four. Oh, it was not. Like, it was like, okay. Oh, I, Pittsburgh's listen, not playing. I, listen, I wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't playing. tweeting that out. Damon wasn't tweeting it out. Dave wasn't tweeting it. You, you, you know, that was a, that was a Justin. Ferber Doug wasn't written. tweeting it out. That's right. Doug wasn't, Doug wasn't on the, well, Doug randomly tweeted the letter Q. That's true. Yeah. That was amazing. That's, also what a great letter to pick too. That, yeah, that's true. <laughs> if you're going to pick one, although these days, maybe not so much. Um, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> Before Lord. we wrap up, he went out with Doug. Wanted to go out with a bang. <laughs> go out, just you know what? Throw it all out there. Like we, like Ferber and I used to have this joke about how, like during Jack Salt's uh, redshirt year, that Tony should just put him in there just to see how much the fans really love him. Like late in the season, right? Just waste. His yeah, shirt. see if people are like justifying it. Like <laughs> just to watch well, the you know, like it makes sense. Defend it. You know, like, you know. Actually, I think this was a smart move. Um, anyway, let's talk about uh, Isaac uh, McNeely real quick. Number fifty-seven overall in the class of twenty twenty-two. Um, told me that it came down really to Louisville, uh, Indiana. Um, God, there were other Illinois was in there. Illinois, there some, yeah, there were some other teams too. But West Virginia, uh, yeah, West Virginia. But obviously, a kid who really loved his experience when he came to Charlottesville last year a couple times, and that stuck with him through the pandemic and everything. Um, for I'm not I'm not sure how much extensively you know you've watched film of him, but he seems pretty perfect for everything Virginia wants. Um, we, we've talked about the comp for him, <laughs> tried our best to stay away from, yeah. from we threw Rand- a lot of weird names out there. <laughs> yeah, we did. Uh, but the one that I keep thinking of is like a more athletic, uh, Mike Mooney, right? Um, the kid from Texas tech, his first name was Mike, right? Matt, Matt. Woo. Mike. the wait, the other Mooney kid from Notre Dame was his name, Mike. Sure. Michael Mooney, right? He was the, the dude from Notre Dame. That's who I right. thought of when you said Mike. Okay, there you that's go. Well, there was also there about. was also a UVA offensive lineman named Michael Mooney, right? That is a <laughs> yes, that's true. Okay, so Matt Mooney. Shout out to Brad's guy, Stephen Moss. It's Brad's guy, there it is. Um, Which one of you gurus? <laughs> <laughs> so he 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 he's got pretty good hops. He's a good shooter. Uh, he's already running the pack line. Um, you know, kind of humble kid who is an excellent quote. He is like. He he's like the Tony Bennett All Stars, right? He he runs the pack line. He plays for a team called the the Polka Dots, but that's neither here nor there. I mean, he's kind of sent like straight from Central Casting to play at UVA for Tony Bennett. Um, I'm not sure how much of his film you've watched, but how excited are you about uh, UVA landing this kid? I think that he's. I don't. I don't. Yeah. I mean, obviously, like I think he would have been a good fit anywhere, but he he's a good get. I mean, like you look at him as a high school junior, he's so well-rounded already and just has like a, a game that 
you know, and this is, I think, just a bigger recruiting conversation. Like, I think UVA now with the national championship and the sustained level of success that they've had, they really shouldn't have to take as many projects, right? Like, these are the kind of guys you should be getting. Guys that are, like, developed on offense can come in and play right away and score, um, look like ACC basketball players from the moment they get to campus. Uh, obviously, like, it seems like a pretty smart kid, um, athletic you know, he can shoot. I think he, he sort of checks all the boxes for what you're looking for. The only bad thing is you're just going to have to wait a while to see him play in, uh, I guess, blue and white. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, the orange, you know, not so much on the orange. Yeah, Tony doesn't like orange, so. He was also, in talking to him the other night, um, you know, I kind of like the decision-making process for him and sort of uh, the handling of the, the pandemic and how, how he saw his recruitment and everything. I just thought he was extremely level-headed. And he talked about, like, you know, Tony is not going to promise you playing time. Like, he's not going to tell you you're going to start. You're going to have to just go out there and work. And I know that that sounds, that sounds fairly standard, and there are certainly players who will say that. I don't know in basketball all the time if there are guys who genuinely are ready to live it. And, and that's no shade at people who want to go somewhere and play. You only have a, f- a handful of years to do this. Um, if you have NF- uh, NFL, if you have NBA aspirations – you don't want to go sit around like there's a reason, you know, DeAndre Hunter left after, you know, one year on the court. Right. He was he was ready to get to the to the next level. He, he had the skill set. Mooney Mooney um, McNeely to me, stri- he strikes me as the kind of kid who has a very uh, a mature beyond his years sort of approach. Not maybe not quite like Malcolm Brogdon is going to be president kind of thing, but more like in just a, he's a very realistic kid. He understands the sort of uh, way things work. I, I think the fact that he that he's running a lot of the offensive stuff and the defensive stuff that UVA already runs, it gives him a sense of confidence and comfort with Virginia. Uh, he talked about Tony breaking down his film, talked about what he needs to work on, talked about you know kind of embracing that side of it, and that you know he didn't necessarily need a coach who told him everything he wanted to hear. He wanted a coach who told him all the things he needed to hear. I'm paraphrasing there, but that's essentially what he said. I I, I think it even. Uh, before just based on film and before I had like a really extensive conversation with him that didn't amount to like, you know, DMS, um, even like before that, I thought he was a great fit, but after talking to him for a while, especially once I transcribed that thing, I mean, that dude, he gets it. He's the perfect fit. And I know in, in recruiting, we throw around perfect fit all the time, right? Kids will say, Oh, you know, it's a perfect fit for me. And, and I don't mean to dilute that, but this dude, I mean, it is it is one hundred percent. Like I, I I can't imagine a better scenario for UVA to start a twenty two class than to have a guy who you know what you're going to get. He understands what it takes. You know you can plug that kid in from day one. Sure, maybe he's going to adjust to the speed of the game, the size of the players, the um, the strength of the guys. But like he's going to fundamentally understand what Tony wants on both ends of the floor in a way that what no Tony recruit probably ever has. I mean, his coach literally came to UVA and like ran with the blueprint. Um, so I'm fascinated to see how how that kid develops, and fascinated to see sort of how that one um, comes together. Ultimately, they're going to need a lot more in 2022 than just Isaac McNeely. Um, Isaac squared would be a, a good place to start. Um, I'm not convinced watching that kid's film that he's six foot nine, but um, certainly has a really nice game and uh, a whole lot to to you know a whole lot of potential to be excited about. Um, they're gonna I, wouldn't would, be the first recruit ever that that has a uh, 
a deceptive height <laughs> that's in their true. profile, right? Uh, that's true. The uh, the other thing is like they probably could use another, you know, whether it's right now in transfer market or what. They've got a lot of spots to play with, and twenty twenty one is not technically closed. So it's a heck of a way to start off. And and as we've seen with Tony, when he gets guys early, his classes tend to be very strong, right? Building around a piece is is one of the things that is, I think, fundamental to Tony Bennett's recruiting success. Um, some schools are very good at closing late on dudes, and they just kind of fit together. Tony is such an over-evaluator, I think, that like he is once he has a guy, he knows uh, what you know who that guy is going to be. Building around that player um, is a much more place of comfort for him as a recruiter, maybe than just trying to like go into a bunch of recruitments that are marathons, right? Um, so I'm really curious what they do with the rest of this class and also to what they do this spring, whether it's, you know, 2021 or whether it's, um, you know, the transfer market or what have you. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, I really, I, you know, I don't think it's a, a stretch to say that the, a top 60 player is a good addition, but a t- this player is obviously a pretty good addition. Um, anything else for the good of the order before we wrap up this week? Damon, you got anything? This is typically the part where um, they, they don't say anything and then I just wrap up the show. This is. No, I appreciate you guys taking my questions. Thanks for taking my call. <laughs> Thank you for taking my yeah. call. <laughs> I'm, glad you did. Call. I'm glad you didn't. Yeah, I'm glad you didn't take your answer off the air. Take my answer off the air. <laughs> That'd have been awkward. <laughs> oh man. Um, I'll hang up and listen. I'll hang up and listen. Yeah, there you go. Uh, but yeah, I'm 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 really glad that Damon could jump on with us tonight. We should mention that Dave just uh, too much work stuff going on for him. Um, everything's okay. <laughs> the last time Dave wasn't on the show, we forgot to tell everybody where he was, and uh, so I didn't want to cause any. Uh, any, uh, I didn't want to cause any worry, but also I don't want to get yelled at by Dave. Um, but then again, we did wait like fifty some minutes to say it. So, although you did, Ferber mentioned him earlier, so that that works. That that counts. We're we're gonna count that. Um, let's see. If you're somebody out there who found the podcast through the website, thank you very much for giving us a listen. Um, whatever app you're using, uh, Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, Overcast, whatever. Uh, we appreciate the reviews and appreciate uh, subscriptions because that um, then you don't have to worry about going to find us. We found you. That sounded creepy. Uh, if you haven't given us a look at the website yet, check us out. Uh, Damon wrote a couple pieces on the baseball team, one on uh, Brandon Waddell and Nathan Kirby, who were surprised to be on a Zoom call uh, and find out they were going to the Virginia Hall of Fame, which I think was pretty cool. Uh, he also talked about Andrew Abbott and how that's a luxury for UVA to add him uh, to their starting rotation um, as things get started um, going into the season here soon. Um, you can read part one and part two of my Isaac McNeely Q&A. Um, I very rarely ever do the Q and a thing, but like, I didn't want to try to, I didn't want to try to paraphrase that kid or try to like, you know, cut down some of his quotes. You know, I wanted to let his, all of his quotes kind of just shine through. So give that a look. And then Ferber's power rankings were out this afternoon. Um, I always love the, the tiers that he uses, um, and the, the, the nicknames that he ascribes to them or the, uh, or whatever. So I've, I very much enjoyed those, uh, this week, this week, I could have just thrown them all in a hat and just thrown them all in a hat. Whatever. There are two kids. Or excuse me, there are two teams that we think are good. The end. Um, but Boston College is definitely not good. Yeah. <laughs> Put them <laughs> now, at the bottom. Now you sound like you're doing a bit from Packer and Durham. Um, but anyway, I want to No, think, don't you don't oh, you put no. that evil on me. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. If uh, So I appreciate everybody out there for continuing to support the show. I want to thank Damon and Ferber for giving graciously their time tonight, as always. And hopefully um, we will talk to you uh, next week. So... For Damon Dillman and Justin Ferber, I'm Brad Franklin, publisher of CavsCorner.com. Thanks for coming out. We'll see you soon.